Welcome to Mind Things, a podcast about how psychedelics will change your brain and change the world. My name is Trey, and I'm going to be talking to people in the psychedelic space. Entrepreneurs, writers, investors, researchers, and people who have had profound experiences using these substances. My guest today is Corey Harrison. Corey is the head of product at Field Trip, a mental wellness company that combines the wisdom and science of psychedelic medicine with personalized psychotherapy and mental health wellness practices. They have a handful of clinics globally, including Toronto, New York, LA, and Chicago, with many more locations planned to open soon. They also introduced the Trip app earlier this year, an app to use at home during your own psychedelic experiences. Corey leads product for the Trip app, as well as the portal used across Field Trip's clinics, which she's helping to scale globally. Field Trip is one of the media darlings of the psychedelic space. They've had tons of PR, they have their own podcast, they went public earlier this year, and they're growing very quickly. I was really excited to chat with Corey because of Field Trip, but also because of her personal interest in the space. We actually didn't talk much about Field Trip at all during the conversation mainly about the transformation that Corey has gone through over the past few years with the help of psychedelics. It wasn't what I was expecting on the conversation, but I was just so interested in going deeper into her personal story, given how much I could relate to it. This is one of the most personal conversations that I've had so far, and I'm excited for you to listen. So let's get to it. I hope you enjoy. Hello, Corey. Welcome. Thank you for joining the show. Hi, Trey. Thank you for having me. I want to jump right in and talk about some of the blog posts uh, that you've written. Uh, really interesting stuff. You have a whole four-part series on longevity. <laughs> and you talk about uh, I think sleep, nutrition, movement, and mindfulness. And in each one of these articles, you list out what must be 20 or 30, I guess, your best practices in each of these areas to live your best life. And it's, it's very personal to me in the sense that it's, it screams type A <laughs> right. And it's extremely aspirational in a sense. And something I struggle with is constantly thinking about all of these things and all these different areas of my life. Yeah. So I'm curious how you handle that and balance that with being sort of calm and mindful, yet at the same time striving to accomplish these, you know, 200 yeah. things. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you that, brought that up back in my hardcore type A days, which wasn't too long ago. So I'll give you some context for who. Corey was at that point in my life. So when I first got to SF, I was early in my career in tech and very hungry to grow and grow fast. And I'm extremely competitive and in a way that is very driven by my environment. So that because that environment was SF, the immediate self-narratives became, I must become a Musk or a Zuckerberg or a Teal or I failed. And the likelihood mm -hmm. of that self-standard turning into pain and misery is highly likely. So that's what happened. And I was super hard on myself, just like extremely high standards. I called it like my productivity shamer. Like if I wasn't doing something that was productive, then, you know, there's that. I would lambast myself. Like I had, to, I couldn't watch movies or TV. I had to watch a documentary. I couldn't read fiction. I had to read nonfiction. I couldn't listen to Audible, I had to listen to a podcast, just that voice in my head all the time. And so it got it weaved into everything in my life. And it got, it became there a huge strictness around food and exercise came up with that. I think because I was seeking, I, I'm a kind of a control freak. And I feel like I was losing control in certain aspects of my life when work because I had these new 
crazy high standards and it was hard to control that and actually make it reality. So I was applying a lot of control in, in exercise and food. So mm -hmm. reading those posts, and I think about going back and changing old blog posts because I know people still look at them, but I actually, I decided to leave them there because it's an important part of my journey that like that intensity and that like obsessiveness of you have to eat this way and you have to work out two hours a day and, and meditate for two hours a day, which actually is still maintained. But a lot of the food and exercise stuff was super rigid and, and just really painful and actually not healthy. I was uh, like hardcore keto for a full two years, fasting, intermittent fasting to the point where I would almost faint because I was like tired and mm -hmm. hungry <laughs> and exercising to a, as a way to release. So I wouldn't refer people to those posts as a way they should live their life, but I would refer to it and see if this is just a stage I was at in my journey. And I've learned that there's other ways to like access control in a way that's healthier. And there's a way to have a healthy balance of mindfulness and physical uh, fitness that, that isn't painful, essentially. Do you remember what brought you out of that specifically? So, yeah, I think you just reached a threshold where it's like, this isn't working, like this is too mm -hmm. much. So I think it was a combination of that combined with meditation got huge in California and especially San Francisco, it became like more and more like calm, had a billboard every corner. Like it was mm -hmm. in marketing by seven touch points, that's when you start taking action. So I think that happened along with just thought leaders I really trusted and believed in started talking about it more, which I think like the, the state I was in that then I would have needed like a high achiever, someone that is my definition of success to tell me that meditation is actually valuable. And at the time that was Tim Ferriss, Sam Harris, Naval Ravikant, Ray Dalio. So they were all saying it over and over. And I was like, okay, there's gotta be something to this. These guys are pretty like successful by my terms of it. That's what got me started into it. And anyone just tried common headspace, like really the baseline beginner stuff and just force myself to do it every morning. And after a bit, it really just didn't feel like work anymore. It felt like something that I craved it. It was something I really longed to do. So I think, so that's the transition to mindfulness. And that just opened up some more self-awareness to these intense, rigid narratives that I had and realizing that I didn't have to be tense all day and stressed all day and hard on myself. And the voice in my head became glaringly clear when you force yourself to sit with yourself for 30 minutes and quiet. Mm -hmm. So that voice I got very familiar with and I was like, this is like not, is this useful? <laughs> like, I don't think so. And so that, that kind of just, it started getting me in touch with my walls, getting me in touch with my rigidities and the tension around control and, and the grip I had in a lot of places in my life and the way it wasn't serving me. I mean, just that awareness, that's the first step. And that's when I just started trying to soften a lot of it. I will say though, I'm still pretty intense about my health. Like it's just, it's for sure a release for me. And I wholly advocate that people work out like even every day, like just do mm -hmm. something, like be active. Like you don't have to go to the gym for two hours and wait and deadlift two, 270 like I used to do, but like Pilates, walking, running to the beach, if you're in LA. Yeah. So it's definitely still a part of my life, but it's in a way that I think is a lot healthier than it used to be. So do you still have some of these thoughts creep up that are pushing you to make sure that you're doing these things every day or doing them in a certain way? And are you just approaching those feelings differently now? So yes, I do still have that little productivity shamer, but I think 
it's so much easier to, so this is where psychedelics have come in is it's an automatic for me. It's definitely less than it used to be like it coming up when like, I'm just trying to relax, but the awareness of it was the first step. And now the second step and this, the awareness of it was the first step. And then from there, it was like separating myself from it. And I don't think I was really able to get there until psychedelics, like my ketamine experiences specifically, you're completely pulled and detached from this like dream we call reality. And you're like almost looking down on it. And it just gave me access to this new like mental space of like higher level awareness. That's like separate from my conscious identity and just the day-to-day reality that we're so like before psychedelics, before true mindfulness, we're so wrapped up in and woven into that like, we're one in the same with our thoughts. We're one in the same with our feelings. We're one in the same with our experiences, but it's just not true. It's like, we can separate ourselves from that and actually look at it objectively in an unbiased way. And psychedelics really help you do that. The mindfulness helped me start getting aware of, of the voices and the like being hard on myself and psychedelics helped me get outside of it so that it didn't, I couldn't, ident- I don't, I no longer identify with it. I just accept it being there. Tara Brack always talks about like having tea with your anxiety, like just sit there with it. Like, it's okay. Like you're, you want to be here right now. And before, like when I was deep in type A world, I just thought all that stuff was woo woo bullshit. And now I'm like, yep. oh my God, this has changed my life. <laughs> so yeah, you hear that a lot. And when you talk about your ketamine experience, you know, I, I can relate to that. I've done ketamine and experienced some of the things you're describing, but maybe describe that a little more for someone who has never done ketamine. Is there something that you're specifically thinking about prior to the experience that you're trying to achieve? And then during the experience, what are you actually thinking about? And and how does that (laughs) translate to your sort of new perspective post experience? So you might not have seen this one because I posted it this week, but I just posted about my new, my first ketamine experience, which actually was- I did, I did. It was very good. Oh, you did. Okay, thank you. So you can probably read between the lines there of how difficult it is to write about a ketamine experience, really any psychedelic experience in general. It's been a really fun challenge for me as a writer. I enjoy writing and I enjoy challenging writing. And just to set the context, so this blog post that you just came out with a few days ago was about your first experience with Field Trip the company you work for had you had right. prior ketamine experiences no <laughs> okay so this no. was the first one okay so this yeah, is very fresh thing. i went all in yeah so yeah. I've, i had been exposed to ketamine quite a bit just through burning man and party situations it's definitely like a party drug at this point in a lot of places it's as common as alcohol people really do lean on it for just letting go it's a dissociative anesthetic and it is hallucinogenic so it can be the effects of alcohol really light doses and I had been exposed to it, but I've always been careful with synthetics. I haven't had the greatest experiences with them, especially in like social contexts. I I call myself a plant medicine poster child. I think that's really my medicine. But so for, for that reason, among others, I decided and working with field trip and being at the forefront of psychedelic medicine and research and some of the most brilliant therapists in the world in this space that I get to talk to every day and pick their brains and they're designing our programs in our centers. So thought it was no better setting to have my first experience. So I was waiting for LA to open up, which was this summer and got myself on the books and went through the Explore program, which is a, a two week program with two dosing sessions and two integration sessions. And so I, yeah, I can speak to that experience or I can try to. I, 
It's with our one of our amazing CIIS trained therapists who really walked me through what to expect going like ketamine and how to prepare for it, how to integrate, which I knew intuitively a lot of this because I work in psychedelics and I've had plenty of bigger experiences with other psychedelics, but ketamine is its own own thing. So I think that's what I took away from this program that I'm really going to apply into our portal technology and our education materials to our patients is that there's a different level of expectation and preparation I think you need going into it. And that it was a glaring contrast to my LSD, 5-MeO-DMT, and mushroom experiences. And I speak to a little bit of that in the blog of some biological reasons why that might be. One being that ketamine acts as an NMDA blocker, which activates glutamate or makes glutamate more accessible in the brain. Where So it has no direct effect on serotonin, whereas mushrooms, is, and mushrooms um, LSD, 5-MeO, are all more serotonin activating. And so because of that, ketamine can be very much a neutral experience, very dissociative, very detached, and just completely like unemotional. And that's really what it was. So when I got that intramuscular injection and I'm in my fabulous, like comfortable and zero gravity chair and weighted blanket and eye shades and Bose headphones, like I'm ready. And I just like slowly ease in and you reach this threshold with all psychedelic experiences that you're at a wall of I let go or will I cling. And if you have the grip of your mind that I do, then you can always cling if you really want to. But I've learned, like I've met that wall enough that the value in letting it go and, and breezing past it is really where the healing and growth lies. So I, I was able to do that here and it just completely like my body dissolved, my awareness of the room dissolved. And it just turned like the best way to describe it was an abyss, like just your awareness expands to this like ever expanding abyss of just experience in formlessness. And I tried to drop in like personal aspects of my life and see what the experience had to tell me, but it just didn't, they didn't fit there. They were just small little dream things in this massive world. And so it's very difficult to describe without experiencing it yourself, but I do think. And was it the same but, in both of the, those experiences? So the first one was, I think it was getting my feet wet a little bit of understanding what ketamine is. So it wasn't as deep. And then the second one was really deep. I was completely gone in the beginning. I thought it was so intense that at one point I thought I was being wheeled into an emergency room because something went wrong. And I just was completely at bliss, like peace, did not care. Like I just, the idea of dying or losing this, like this form that we call body, like just meant nothing to me. And it had nothing to do with like awareness and consciousness that I actually was experiencing at that time. It just, you're able to completely detach from like your, your physical form and your human experience in a way that I think is, it's a little off balancing, but it, it's also really powerful and can be really formative if you handle it the right way afterwards. Like, I think it, and this is what the difference with field trip compared to other ketamine clinics and maybe other, other routes to these experiences, like doing this in a clinical setting and with a trained therapist is really important because the integration, even I've done plenty of high doses by myself and, and integrated on my own before, but I really needed that in this case because it was drastically different. And I was like really surprised with my reaction after. Usually I'm like 
looks like a Buddha sitting in the woods after psychedelics. But after this, I went home and I just, I watched Sex in the City for like two hours. Like I just, <laughs> it was like, so like not myself. I was just very odd and I didn't know how to handle it. And so she, my therapist really helped me a couple of days later with weaving some of this because it was clear my reaction was just trying to get away from it because it was like, it was just too intense just to feel that level of letting go of yourself that like our ego and our human experience is such such a safety comfort zone for us and so i talked to our, our director of research about this too to get some clarity because i know because he speaks a lot to the the egoist state is there is nothing there's no emotion there there's really nothing there and there's actually a lot of beauty in that because goodness and badness is just perceptions we make with our minds and it, it, if you go to that place where there's nothing there and there's no good no bad just completely neutral no judgment no perform no perception of existence it gives you it, it helps you see that our reality is really driven by like our mind and, and putting labels on things and, and putting its own perception around things so practically speaking after having an experience like that when it's weeks later or months later now, and you might be feeling some anxiety of, of some type, are you actively making a decision to recall the memory of that experience? Yes. So that kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. The being able to detach when I'm in a state of charged or I'm in a state of anxiety, or I have that productivity shamer coming up. It's like, it's like the experience formed. It really did like, the idea of expanding the mind, it really feels like that happened. Like I have access to the, these new connections in my brain that like take me to this expansive, spacious place where I'm, I am that little orb of light that's just floating through this human experience and looking at the dream of reality. And it's really liberating. Like at the time, right afterwards, it was really scary. Like just the idea that like everything is in our mind and like we create reality and like, nothing is real and that whole nihilistic thing that you can get out of psychedel psychedelics if you mm -hmm. go too deep on the philosophical route of it but the actual felt sensation and and benefit like therapeutic benefits you can get from that state just periodically like when you need it like just separating from a really charged emotion like that nothing state is actually really great. Yeah. <laughs> it's not that great when you're access to feelings of like love and beauty and art and things that you really want to feel, but the that ketamine space I'm calling it just this like wide expanse full experience full but formless world is one that really helps me to look down on things and see it from a different perspective so that I'm not tangled with it. You mentioned in the, I, th I think it was the first experience, how, because you're very type A and thinking about a lot of things, you had to push yourself through to let go in, in a way. And that's, I mean, that, that really resonates with me because I've had a handful of uh, ketamine experiences in, in a therapeutic setting. And I have very high neuroses where crazy amounts of mind chatter. And I don't think, at least in my experiences so far, I was ever able to truly overcome that. How would you guide me to, it's one thing to say, let go. It's another thing to to know how to do that and to, and to actually do it. How, how would you guide me to actually let go during these experiences? Yeah. I think I'm trying to think of when I first did 
it's probably with 5-MeO. Have you tried 5-MeO DMT? I have not, no. So I think it really just takes being forced. (laughs) If you people like what it sounds like you are and what I was, you know, you do the toad and you don't have a choice, you're gone. And so with that experience, I just completely had to let go. There was no choice. And so when I went there and I came back and it's okay, my body's still here. I'm perfectly fine, my physically fine. And that was really powerful and beautiful and incredible. And so I think that just gets embedded in your psyche of, oh, it's okay to do this. This is actually really great. <laughs> it's possible. Yeah. And I think the the physical safety is a big part of it that like, it feels really unnatural when you're at that wall, when it's like your awareness is really trying to let go of this ego that we cling to and, and associate survival with. So it's like a survival mechanism that we cling and we stay and we hold on to our thoughts and our normal waking awareness. But if you go to put, if you to ha- have an experience and have a dose where you're forced to go and you're in a really safe environment with someone you trust, ideally, then I think that's just really what you need to do that moving forward. So now I can even get there with two grams of mushrooms, which mm. before that would probably require five grams. Can you describe a little more your 5-MEO experience? What was the setting? What were you doing? Yeah, and what sure. was the actual experience like? So that was in San Francisco. That was my first deep psychedelic experience. Just bam, wham, bam. Straight to it. Thank you, man. Straight to it. Yeah. My ex-boyfriend in San Francisco had a guide that he introduced me to, who is now still my guide and very close friend, amazing person that's helped me a lot along my journey. And so he introduced me to him to have one of these experiences and came to our house in San Francisco and I was sitting down on like on the floor and just had the, there was some preparation stuff that I worked with him on that week, like with setting an intention and cultivating a really like open receptive state, fasting, writing. My first one though, I was still, I was not like deep along the mindfulness path. So I did not fully let go during that one, believe it or not. I took mm-hmm until my second one until I did. But for that first experience, smoke it, three different doses, smoked it. And the first dose was like a lower dose to get me familiar with it. Second dose was a really high one. And the third dose was like coming down. And yeah, no, I didn't fully let go. I don't really remember it, but in detail, but it was probably like what you're saying where I just, I clung to my reality and I was very much aware of people watching me. I think that got me up close and personal with that wall of like, external validation and worrying how about how I'm seen and and being seen as vulnerable. Oh, I got really up close and personal with all that because I just could not let go. And I wanted to scream and spit and dance and flow, but I was like, someone's watching me. Huh. And so I didn't do any of that. And so it, it, I did not fully let go with that one, but I think it was about six months later where we had another experience in the same setting and the same dosing. And I think just me, getting more comfortable with psychedelics at that point and had tried it before I was able to really let go. And it was just so, that one was just really beautiful, just really positive, beautiful, just a lot of feelings of love and expand expansiveness of like compassion flowing um, from me and into me. And that must've just been like my state at that time, but I didn't really feel like I got up to any like, painful walls or anything but it was this like is also ex- with like eye shades and music 
Yeah. Yeah. I'm learning that's not obvious, <laughs> but I guess that's really like been my practice. That's how I really go in into it. My mind is extremely vast and visual. And so I, I create whole worlds behind my eyes, even just when I dream. So psychedelic experiences just with eye shades are really cool for me. And I thought that's how it was for everybody. But for some people, they might want to keep their eyes shades open, interact even. But I'm very internal in my head. And, it's, and I work through a lot of stuff doing that. It's really crazy how much lives in there and how vast it is. Yeah, eye shades and, and headphones. I did that with ketamine. I do that with my high mushroom doses too. So when you say you work through stuff, what does that actually mean? You're, yeah. Is it similar to a, a lucid dream in that you're in this sort of crazy visual state, but you can control it to a degree and you're specifically mm -hmm. trying to bring up certain memories or thoughts? What does it mean yeah. to work through something? So to me, what that means is like I said, during the ketamine experience, I tried to drop personal stuff in. Didn't really work there, but mm -hmm. in mushrooms, it typically does. And in 5-MeO, it typically does, where I will just think about a person in my life or a relationship or a behavior or something that I know, like going into it, that I want to like understand better, that that just my my day-to-day -day ego being wrapped up in it is never going to give me an unbiased look at it it's never going to help me see it in a way that's going to understand is this serving me or is it not and so it gives you clarity you you drop that personal stuff in and it it's almost like the experience is its own little like wise entity that I'm just this little bumbling person walking through it. Teach me what you want to teach me. And that's kind of what my mind is doing. Just like looking around, what do you want to show me? And it's, and it just is this new, like insights come up, discoveries come up around just how I see and perceive things in my life and what I choose to drop in that I feel like I can come out of it and make decisions on what path to go down, what work to do, who to connect with in my life, what relationships to keep, not keep, whether to move somewhere, like these big decisions that I think like your unconscious knows far more than your waking awareness does. And I just feel like it's been really helpful for me to understand myself on a really deep level that has helped me. I just care so much about living my best life really and mm -hmm. helping other people do that. That's what I see psychedelics doing. And that's why I care so much talking about it is self-actualization. And we actually don't know what that looks like. I think that our truth lies super deep and psychedelics can help us understand what our truth is and then actualize it. Is there an example of that that you can recall of something that was maybe living in your subconscious that after a psychedelic experience you recognized and now as a part of your conscious thought? Sometimes it's just the experience itself is therapeutic. So especially with mushrooms, it helps. You can start to realize the emotions that are just embedded in our somatic and in our bodies as early back as even before birth and our ancestors passed down or from our own trauma growing up. And so I've had experiences where I've just felt an emotion from a memory, like I, I lost a friend in high school and that came up. It's like it's the grieving, the grieving for that, just so powerful bubbled up out of me. Like it just lived in my bones and it needed to be released. So that is, it's another form. It's not really like an insight and discovery. It's more like a release and, mm -hmm. and psychedelics can really do that. So what, 
the five intentions we have in the trip app are to discover, to transform, to process, to heal. What's the other one? To discover, to transform, to process, to heal, to grow. That's my favorite one. I don't know how I, how I missed that. <laughs> and so the, to discover, I think, is what we talked about initially, like dropping personal stuff in and seeing what the experience has to say. And to heal and to grow is what I just mentioned with just being able to feel emotions that are embedded in our body and, and releasing them, which I think that's when you first get started with psychedelics, you really work through that first for a while. And then once all that is finally out of your bones and out of your muscles and all that energy built up from trauma that you never actually processed and released. And that's why it's really painful getting started. And that's why people are scared to try psychedelics alone without support. And I'm glad they are because I think we do need support around these experiences. Mm -hmm. But once I think you get past that to a certain degree and you're just in this kind of fresh blank slate then that's where the discoveries can happen. And I'm starting to feel like I'm at that point where it's, okay, I feel like I've really met my walls. I've met the wounds. And now it's time to really, to move further down the journey and see what else these experiences have to tell me and, and how I can best walk forward in life in a way that aligns with what's gonna be the best way to live. So you, you've mentioned a, a bunch of different psychedelics, 5-MeO, uh, mushrooms, LSD, ketamine, obviously. H how do you think about going back to these different psychedelics for, I don't know, different reasons? For, you have this you know, toolkit now. Mm -hmm. What do you use and, or how do you use these different things uh, for different purposes? Yeah. Or is, is you've experienced them all now and you have a, a favorite or a most impactful one that you'll continue to go back to more frequently? Yeah, so there <laughs> sounds like I'm a, I'm a, I'm tripping literally day in and day out. Sounds like this <laughs> conversation, but I swear I'm not. <laughs> the reason why I a lot of the reason why I have these experiences and work with guides is to inform the work that we that I'm not speaking for field trip. So this is purely my personal stuff. Mm -hmm. None of this mm -hmm. illegal behavior is associated with field trip, but it really helps me write from my blog and help people in my life to understand how to use these medicines for growth. And so that's really why, like, I would, ex I've experimented, but I will say that I don't think there is a whole lot of value in having a medicine cabinet of psychedelics and trying a different one every other week or even every other month. If you look at indigenous cultures, they all tend, they use one, they use one and they even get specific enough to like one strain, one kind of mushroom. So it's, working with one medicine and choosing your medicine and really having your journey be with that, I think is the way to derive the most benefits. And I think the reason for that is because every psychedelic is, is such a different mechanism of action and just has a different outcome of what the experience is, what the perceived experience is and what you can get from it, that it's almost like the journey becomes just this horizontal, like you're always going horizontal, like you're not actually moving forward. Mm -hmm. And whereas with mushrooms, which is my medicine and the one that I choose to move forward with is every time I do it, do it uh, a new dose, which I have a quarterly, I usually do quarterly dose, high doses it's like a step forward. It's, I feel like I'm really growing and moving forward. Whereas ketamine was like definitely a diversion. Like I'm still confused by that. 
but mm-hmm. I did it because it was useful in its own way. And I think it's important that I have empathy for our patients. But I found that working with one medicine in a practice that's intentional and well-informed, that's really where I've felt the most progress. And I'm only speaking for myself here. This is what's worked for me. So my recommendation for people who are either early in their journey or looking to start is to first ask yourself what you are looking for and what you really hope to get out of these experiences. And second, to educate yourself on that and ideally finding a trained guide or therapist who can help support you along the way. Got it. And, and what is it exactly about psilocybin that is your medicine? What is the experience like contrasted with those other substances that makes it more appropriate for you? I think it's the emotion, the, the felt sense of really feeling and releasing emotion, the ser- serotonin effect that being so, I'm very left-brained, I'm very emotionally walled, and I think really structured and rigid. And the the mushrooms just are super right-brained, just you feel very feminine and flowing and open. And there's no rigidity around things. It's just there's such a fluidity of experience. And that combined with just the emotional aspect of really like feeling emotions that I have, I might have smothered or not even noticed and letting them go or just letting myself feel them. I just really enjoy feeling. I just feel so alive. Mm -hmm. There's nothing more alive than feeling to me. And it's just so beautiful, even if it's sadness. I, I don't know. I think that I've always just been obsessed with being tough and I'm just used to that, that feeling just feels so liberating to me. And mushrooms really give me that. Have you had close people or other people in general in your life notice or comment on how you are different now versus prior to all these experiences? Yeah, definitely. I've, uh, I've gotten my family to be intri- intrigued by psychedelics, which I would never <laughs> expect that to happen. Not like on board, but intrigued, which is all I can ask for. They are extremely supportive and amazed with my growth from it. I think the, the biggest thing I hear from people is that I'm just calmer. I'm just calm. And I'm more enjoyable to be around probably because of that. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I used to be very wound up. I couldn't go on vacation without figuring out where the gym was or where I was going to run or what sort of food I was going to have. So that was a big part of it and just being wound up in general. So I have gotten that feedback. And so I do it for other people in my life to make myself bearable as well as for myself. <laughs> You're simultaneously giving me something to aspire to and making me feel worse about myself. Really? <laughs> I, think, Why? I think, I think I'm, I think I'm you several years ago, right? I think I, I have a lot of the, the characteristics that you describe overcoming or improving upon. And I, I say that half jokingly because it's definitely very reassuring and optimistic for me to, to hear from someone like you who was so rigid and, and type A in that way. And is now, Clearly, just in, in having this conversation, you can tell that you're an extremely calm person. Oh, <laughs> and, wow. and that's definitely something that, that I aspire to. So it's great to, to hear this perspective. Well, yeah, it's absolutely possible. So holla at your girl whenever you need help. <laughs> I was in a, I, it was a bumbling journey. It was not easy. So that's part of why I write about it because it was such a trial and error experience for me that having five MEO and not letting go and thinking that that's just what was the experience was, Oh shit, mm-hmm. doesn't work for me. So I think 
talking about this is really important to help other people get there because there's so many people out there like this now. We live in a very achievement-driven culture and it's very individualist culture. We have a loneliness pandemic. We have a, like, our version of success is building a company and sitting alone in a super fabulous house. Is that really? Yeah. And that's why I talk about it. And I love helping people with whenever they're like hearing that people are on a similar path than I am. It sounds like you've been on, you've had these different stages and you've evolved in a way from being very type A and exploring different psychedelics. And each one of them has had a different sort of impact on you. Mm-hmm. You, you just came out of, or recently came out of your first ketamine experience with field trip. Mm-hmm. Is there something in the back of your mind you're already thinking about this is next or you know, next year or five years from now, oh, yeah. I want to mm-hmm. do this. And it could be, I want to do this specific psychedelic, or it could be, I want to revisit mushrooms, but accomplish something different. Right. Sure. Well, ayahuasca, I think that actually might become my medicine after trying that. So I have I I will be planning a retreat in 2021. Otherwise, I say I am working on a post that kind of catalogs my journey because it is pretty crazy to think that it is really like steps that that I think could really resonate with people. It takes it starts very high level, like to get from like calm to like psychedelics, like using calm every day to psychedelics. <laughs> it's just like it's a very different. A lot of steps needed to happen. And so I'm just starting to write that out. And so I think it starts with understanding yourself and building awareness, mindfulness, meditation, just at like a basic level, just understanding who you are and like having awareness on like the voices in your head, the narratives, like what your patterns are. And the next is losing yourself, letting that go and understanding that we are not our egos. We're not our thoughts. We're not our feelings even. They're just things, they're just energy. And that is really like the woo-woo side of things that I, when I was just listening to Calm every day, I would not have been on board, but you get to a certain point in the journey, but when that becomes so obvious and, but you need to do the steps beforehand. So I think that's important, but that's where I'm at now is losing myself and letting myself go and letting the ego go and not identifying with it. We need it to get by and to lead product at a super fast growing startup, but it's, I think what I care about is feeling good in this life. And so I, feeling good without sacrificing output, without, without sacrificing upside and productivity is always like the balance with us type mm-hmm. A'ers. And I think finding a way to, to not identify with that, that gripping ego is a really great way to do that. And so some resources that I've found really powerful for me and outside of psychedelics are exploring exploring psychoanalytic psychoanalytic psychology with Carl Jung and Freud, Piaget, Nietzsche, Joseph Campbell, Jordan Peterson. He stands on a lot of their shoulders. So their work, Carl Jung specifically, he's like my favorite thinker ever, really speak to this really esoteric but in deep mythological collective unconscious synchronicity, like these concepts that are like deep in the human psyche uh, that drive our behavior that are go back millions of years that are are built into our DNA as human beings and that really unify us as um, humans. And we all have a very, there's a lot of underlying structures in the psyche and that drive 
the way we are and what, where this ego comes from and why we care about what we care about. Like, why is it so obvious that sunsets are beautiful to everybody? There's just certain things that like, why do we love the shape of a circle? Why do we love mandalas? Like the mythology and symbolism in the collective unconscious goes back forever. And it's actually what a lot of religion is based in. And so that's a, the path I've been going down lately with, I'm a huge, I'm a voracious reader. And that's been what's been really interesting and very complementary to psychedelic experiences. Well, this sort of turned into a, a therapy session for me, I think. I appreciate <laughs> all of the insights. Thanks for letting me just really... give my spiel. I'm talking a lot. <laughs> no, it's true. It's truly helpful. And, and like I said, something to aspire to. Where can people learn more about you? Where can they find your blog? Where can they learn more about Field Trip? So we didn't even get to really Field Trip. Wow. So CoreyHarrison.com. That's probably the best way. That's where all my stuff is. And you can contact me there. And FieldTripHealth.com is where you can learn about our clinics business. We're opening clinics throughout North America and Europe and psychedelic assisted psychotherapy, where we do the work that I said I did with ketamine. And tripapps.co is our app for supporting people who as a harm reduction tool for who might be having these experiences at home without the support of a guide or a therapist or you can go to tripapp.co to download our new mobile app trip as i've spoken a lot to today and what mirrors our ethos and approach at field trip is that psychedelics are really just the catalyst they're an extremely powerful tool but it is what you do before, during, and after these experiences that can really maximize your healing and growth. And so we create a trip for people like you and I that are seeking these altered states outside of a clinical environment. And it's meant to be that guiding hand that they don't have today to help them get the most out of their journeys in consciousness expansion. And as more and more people are trying psychedelics at home and hoping to use it for transformative purposes that we talked about, we created a tool that could offer a bite-sized version of what we do in our field trip health centers to the world to help them practice safely and effectively. And that includes things like guided intention setting, journaling, mood tracking, custom music, mindfulness content, a real simple flow to help support that. And we're working on deepening that with some new features in collaboration with some of the top therapists and music composers in this space. So our our mission at Field Trip is to help the world grow from consciousness expansion. And we're very excited to be able to broaden our reach beyond our clinics and go global with this support and hope to continue to deepen that support as we expand the trip community and and learn from each other. And yeah, I think that's the best places. But this was a lot of fun. Thank you, Trey. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks so much for being here, Corey. Anytime. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the episode or know of anyone who might benefit from hearing it, please subscribe and share. You can also sign up for the Mind Things newsletter at mindthings.co and find us on Twitter at mindthingsco. Thanks again and stay tuned for the next episode very soon.